The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Lincoln Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, as well as five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But... On this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're going to be listening to this. And it should be before the fight because we're actually coming into you a little bit earlier. Not as early uh, as I would like to. It's still a Thursday. Uh, Thursday evening when this is being recorded. Some 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 news just dropped that I'll be uh, be able to introduce in, which is you know kind of a, a plus side uh, that I'll get to here in a second. But... Uh, but yeah, yeah, there there is uh, some unpacking, some updating, a, a few notes off the top as per usual, and we will get, of course, into the breakdown for UFC Fight Night 135, UFC Lincoln, Justin Gaethje versus James Vick, uh, going down to Nebraska this Saturday. Um, we'll be going from bottom to top as per usual, but before we get to that, uh, yeah, the reason why... Um, yeah, I made it a little note to say earlier, earlier than usual. Usually it's like a 24-hour, barely cut off. Old Dan Tom's getting it to you. But, uh, but, but yeah, I'm getting it to you today, and, and I would have got it to you earlier. I, I apologize. It was a, it was a freak thing. Old Dan Tom, like, was, was able to, I mean, I've, I've been cutting, you know, cutting it easy on the coffee, on the coffee, uh, alcohol, tea, bad food, all these things, all, you know, combating the, these health issues and, and, you know. The, the, the battle of, of, of finding out what's going on with your gut biome that decides to radically change in your 30s as it tends to do with people. Anyways, too, too much information. I know. I'm sorry. But the point is old Danton went from like a, like a two-week straight break from coffee because I was like, you know, it's coming off vacation, right? I mean, no articles pressing to be done for like the first time in years. I'm like, oh my, I can, I can breathe. Let's, let's not get caffeinated if we don't need to, right? Let's take a break from that. And, I'm so excited to do the podcast today. I'm coming home from work, getting some errands run, you know, after after the radio show. I'm like, I'm stoked to do this podcast this afternoon when I was originally intending to record it. I was like, I'm going to get some coffee, you know, get, 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 a little, get a little buzz, get a little little bump. It's on the way home. Why not? It's at the, it's at the old drive through Starbucks. Get, get some cold brew. It's a little easier than the old hot stuff, right? And, uh, man, I got one of those venties. And I think I got, like, two-thirds. I didn't even finish it. Not that I should need to or anybody should need to finish that much amount of caffeine but I got like two-thirds of the way through and I just started getting like super dizzy and nauseous and I probably should have threw up I probably would have expedited the process you know and like felt better but of course I had to like uh shower try to attempt a nap eat pound water like doing all these things to try to like wait it out of them out of my system but but yeah I don't know there's the acidity it's It'll fuck with me, man. I, I felt like I was gonna pass out for a good like an hour or two. It was just too nauseous to like open my eyes and and, and look at my phone even. So, anyways, apologies on that. But uh, but no, I've been doing good otherwise. Just just took my uh my last test and it and it's funny. I feel like I'll, I'll listen to like other podcasts and stuff and not MMA, but just 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 hearing like 
people and old, mainly older people going through some of the tests that I've recently had done. It's kind of kind of funny coincidences, but 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 no no complaints. Dan Tom has been uh, getting stretching in, getting his sleep. Uh, eating better, just really looking out for his health, and that was a big reason. This is going somewhere. I'm not just I'm not just endlessly rambling. Bear with me. Uh, you know that was a big reason. You know for this break, um, and and as well as like I kind of hinted, I was doing some uh, renegotiations. Um, the ink is not uh, quite quite dry yet, or, but but uh, we've already been uh, implementing some some positive changes, which is awesome. You know we're really really getting a. Uh, Getting a move on with some 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 new projects as you're seeing over at MMA Junkie, and uh, you know as, as far as my role, kind of restructuring that. It essentially kind of like the tweet I I, I tweeted out. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening to this. You're already following me at Dan Tom MMA. It's just the best place for any and all of my content. So it's gonna find its way or be pinned relevantly through there. But right now, that that post is probably still pinned. Not my breakdown, but um, but yeah, essentially, without divulging too much details, I'll just be writing less. Uh, and doing more video and audio, you know, I, I did, I've, I've talked about this and hinted and, and asked for feelers, even did a poll on Twitter, if you remember, and a lot of you guys participated, it was really surprised uh, and appreciative of, you know, how many of you guys, not just with the poll, but actually, you know, messaged and gave your feedback, and from the poll to the feedback, it was overwhelming me, Dan, we like, we like the writing, 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 breakdowns, writing, your trademark, and that that warms my heart. It really does. It's what got me to the dance. Um, it's what made me stand out. I will, I will never forget that. And uh, that's why I've, you know, there's been there. Yeah, sure. There actually has been cards. You know, you go back to like the what was it like the Lewis versus Hunt or those random cards where it's like I would just do the you know, the main event or Lewis versus. It's funny both Derek Lewis cards. Lewis versus uh, Abdurakimov. You know, that came before right before two oh six. I'm not going to do the whole main card. I'm doing the whole main card for the you know fucking pay per view the next night. You know, so I would. It's not like I, I wouldn't do you know just main cards or that was like foreign from Dan Tom. But yeah, for the most part, I would provide some type of coverage. And I believe I only missed two, maybe three cards since 2015. Not too shabby considering the UFC's run. So for what it's worth, I did do a pretty good job there. But yeah, as this is to say, I'm only going to be giving the full service treatment. My, my main card breakdowns, which I know kind of got truncated a bit, not truncated, but maybe segmented is a better word. Uh, as you saw about uh, the beginning of the year with Junkie, we would do the main card in the earlier of the week, co-main, kind of split it up. Um, you know, part of that's for audience absorption, which of course translates to other stuff like SEO and all that other other good stuff. But but yeah, man, it just it, essentially that did help. But essentially, at the end of the day. <sighs> You know, like they say, like they say with politics, you know, it, it's it's so hard to trust things. The best way to vote is to vote with your dollars. Unfortunately, whether it's politics, media, or MMA media, it's so cl- we're so quick to blame the media, and I, I I get it. I could totally be objective and see why, but at the same time, if you see behind the scenes and you see the SEO, you see the clicks, and it's like. For all the complaints of you're complaining about this, we want less of this. That's what's you know, not you guys, you listening to this, especially this podcast, you're some weird type of hardcore who just needs help because you're listening to me. That's that's another issue for another day. But uh but you know what I'm saying? Not necessarily you, but the 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 proverbial you is clicking on the Rousey and McGregor stories and you're not clicking on the quote unquote oh no, Dan Tom uh, in-depth analysis story or you know uh these fighter stories uh which well I'm going to you know cite one up here with the first fight with Ronnie Yaya that you know you know, Fernando Pratchett or someone does, or from some of the doesn't be from our side. You know what I'm saying? Like these story, Gilman Cruz, you know, fighting uh, uh, 
you know, just some random story about some random fighter that might not be in your radar, especially as an American. But you know, it's important to click in and to check out those stories, especially as a hardcore, um, uh, you know, because because it translates. And at the end of the day, you know, for me, that uh, back on topic here, how it translated essentially just is no secret. I don't think I'm revealing too much here, but you know, it, it's hard to convince your bosses or people above who just have the, you know, kind of numbers in front of them that you should keep this content and you should keep paying for this content when it's only getting this much when other stuff and short bursts or videos or audio is getting the, you know, for, for example. So that is the kind of tough spot, especially for someone like me. Who, again, I'm not like a breaking news guy. That's not my media role. I'm not doing play by play coverage. Um, that would love to be do play-by-play commentary. That's that's the ultimate goal. Dan Tom wants to do commentary. That's what I feel like. Uh, I actually would be best be best at, believe it or not. But no, neither here nor there. I, I'm not. You know, your the 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 typical uh, media coverage. I, I I do like to do the more kind of uh, niche stuff. Unfortunately, niche doesn't mean clicks. So uh, you guys can pretty much read between the lines there. Uh, I'll, so essentially, yeah, I'm, I, unless it's a pay per view. If it's a pay per view, I'll be giving it the full treatment minus. Uh, I'm pretty much giving all the details here, but hey, no one's listening to this, right? Um, I'll be able to find out, actually, who's listening to it more. Uh, one of the things I did was um, I didn't get over the Stitcher and the SoundCloud like, like I mean to, though that, that, that is next on the docket. But I am tracking uh, analytics now, starting with this one here. So be actually see who's listening to this. But yeah, um, no, no, no betting articles or anything anymore because, again, you know, I've kind of voiced my complaints on those here and the... It was no, it was no issue um, cutting those. They weren't exactly getting clicks, and for me, it's not worth doing because, you know, like I said, the lines are are, are inflated that late. Um, even Thursday's pushing it. I'm going to be aiming for Wednesdays or Thursdays, by the way, for this podcast. I'm not sure if I'm going to set a hard date because you've got the Saturday to Sunday jumping of cards, and, and I don't know. I really want to do Wednesdays to be honest, but uh, it's going to be Wednesdays and no later than Thursday um, afternoon, for sure, uh, for this podcast. Um, but but yeah, for for, for the written. Uh, no betting breakdowns, but the pay-per-views will receive the full treatment. But yeah, Fight Night and Fox cards, we're only going to be doing, you're only, you're only going to be seeing the written main cards from Dan Tom there. Um, you will see co-main event if it's, you know, something worth it. Like if it's like a Jeremy Stevens, Jose Aldo or something like that, that you, you'll see on Fox card, right? Like something like that, we'll do the co-main event for. You'll probably see one float around. Um, and hey, by the way, tweeting us, tweeting, tweeting, uh, you know, Tweeting at us, tweeting junkie, letting them know like, hey, we want to see see a breakdown for this fight. That that doesn't hurt either because, uh, especially on those co-main events, it's gonna it's pretty much gonna hinge on, on popularity. But for example, for this card, UFC Lincoln, if you notice, you're you're you're, pro- you're probably only gonna see the uh, uh, Justin Gaethje uh, versus uh, James Vick, you know, full treatment in depth main card. But we, we did shoot a video for for the Andre Feely Michael Johnson one that should be already out making its rounds, I believe. Um, so again, it's going to see a little bit of adjustments will be, I may be tweaking the writing a bit too. Um, I, I'm really married to my format. I feel like it, it, it's what makes me stand out. It's something that I've done f- for a while and something that I, I kind of stick by. You know, I, I've seen some people kind of impersonate versions of it and thankfully that, that went away. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I really am proud of my, you know, supplemental, uh, you know, the way it breaks down the three S's. I may change the summary. I may truncate that a bit. But really, um, we're looking to do more video stuff. So don't be surprised to see that. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'll leave you surprised there. But yeah, you're going to see more video stuff uh, as far as that goes. Um, 
and uh, and yeah, it's also gonna you know again you know it's gonna allow me to do for more audio as well as far as you know for here. Um, by the way, you know we jo- we'll be getting a uh, one top five a, a month, and uh, sorry if I'm speaking in hesitation and I'm like ahs and umming right now. It's on purpose because I'm really just trying to fucking throw roadblocks and like uh, tax strips in front of myself, you know, because because I'm, I'm like I, I already can tell them I'm. I'm going to give away too much, but, uh, but yeah, we're going to do some cool things with the top five that is going to connect to other parts of my job in a bigger picture. We'll just say that, um, that'll be really fun. You'll be getting a consistent, at least one, at least one of those a month. Uh, I was going to do a flashback and tie it up, but, but last, it was, I'm on vacation. We had, we had a, we had a, a hit Walter Waite show, which thank you guys, uh, by the way, I really appreciate when y'all reach out and, and let me know you enjoy it. Um, it's, it, it, it's good to know that people are listening and that, that, that people are enjoying it. I, the, the, they're my the most fun episodes, you know, we have fun talking about who we're going to bet on, um, as we're about to do, but it's always good to, you know, remember, just kind of appreciate the sport, uh, for what it is it's easy to lose that, especially in this day and age of MMA. Sorry for the long winded updates. there, about 10 minutes worth, but, um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming your way. And, and again, it's going to, it's going to allow me for more time to breathe, expand, get these into you in a better time, get these to you, uh, these breakdown episodes as I'm referring to you earlier in the week. And yes, uh, it's also a great reminder to remind you that I do do a daily show. Um, Granted, we don't currently have a live spot. We're on a replay slot right now for Sirius, but we do stream live on YouTube, uh, which we do interact with the chat. Uh, we've been trying to get better about that, but we're also one of the only shows that take calls in MMA Junkie Radio. You know, they've been doing it for for, for 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 a decade now, folks. This isn't anything new. Five days a week, the only show that does it has been doing it. Take advantage of that. Um, the callers become a part of the show. And again, back to the vote with your dollars thing. You like something or don't like something, or you like something but would kind of maybe feel be a little better with this. You voice it, you call in, you tweet, you tag that, you tag it appropriately. Not the oh look who's picking this fighter Dan, at Dan Tom MMA picking at this person to be at that. You do those those shitty tweets, sure, but no, do the ones that count. You know, uh, vote with your dollars there um, as as far as that goes. And uh, I hope that doesn't come off as me trying to beg more. <laughs> toward me or anything like that like it's just more of a kind of broader lesson tied in with the relevant to what i'm saying there all right that uh i'll leave it off on that but uh but yeah i'm excited i'm excited man um yeah the news though that that that, that uh, broke just before i uh, recorded this here about uh 7 p.m or so pacific time tony versus tony um yeah yeah t- t- tony ferguson versus and tony pettis uh, got announced for UFC 229. Crazy, crazy. I'm really excited for that one. Really excited to see what the line's gonna be. Um, Anthony Pettis is so hot and cold, which means the odds makers are often hot and cold with him. Uh, odds makers, even when he, everyone's on the fade train for Anthony Pettis in those stretches of his career, the odds makers still arguably, or you could argue, give him more respect than he deserves in certain spots, but. I think Pettis has proven that, you know, um, no matter what you think of him, he's tough. And at least uh, at upon a certain level, right around that top five fringe, he, he's there to stay and compete in that level. Whether you want to pick him or, or whatever you think his ceiling is, um, is fine. Uh, you know, I, I would probably be more on the, the tempered side of it uh, than the hype side for, for, for old pretty Tony Pettis there. 
but but you can't deny him certain things, man. Um, the guy goes through wars, and uh, if he was a quitter and, and breaker, he's had plenty of spots and plenty of, of his recent fights and wars that he's been going through. Now, those wars are probably going to take its toll, which is why I've picked against him in a lot of his recent fights. And you guys know how high I am on Tony Ferguson, so my early lean, of course, is going to be Tony Ferguson um, here. Uh, but, but man... Um, Anthony Pettis has shown he's not done. And obviously, Tony Ferguson, that injury intangible, that leg, how can you ignore that? I know he's posting these freak workouts, but it's like those are the things that open up for freak accidents in the, fir in the first place. You know, again, it's not the, the sunglasses or the trip or the, the, the two, focusing so much on that incident. Like you've heard plenty of other people say it. It's a take that I agree with where. It, there was probably some stress and some issues with that Tony leg before that, that old wire incident. But uh, that being said, Tony's a wild man too. I mean, he had his fight book with Kiesa. I mean, me and uh, Jim Edwards went to a bar like pre UFC 194 and saw him just at night in a dark bar with sunglasses on, eating nachos and drinking a beer. <laughs> you know, he may or may not have been in training camp mode, and he was just by himself. <laughs> Just going to town. Like, it was just the weirdest thing. But it's fucking El Kukui, man. Kukui. Um, what else do I got? Richard Russell. She is Seattle Eyecraft hijacking. Yeah, man, that's that's relevant to the Protect Your Neck podcast. That was just really... I probably wrote that. I don't know. That was just a really weird story. That, that, that story of the guy. He hops in the plane. He's just... I don't know, man. It was just... Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with that story. And he just, like had enough knowledge to fly the plane. He's talking to them. He's the commercial airplanes, like doing barrel rolls. And it's like, you got a few screw looses, man. And a lot of people can be disappointed when they hear this, man. It's really eerie listening to those tapes. And I don't know why. I don't know why I wrote that, but I remember it just fucking with me. Y'all remember that? Anyways. Um, I also wrote, uh, Jake Shields functionally retarded. <laughs> <coughs> This is kind of old. Some of these are notes from when I think I was originally going to do a podcast last week, too. And it was probably before the PFL event. I think, like, Capoza and a bunch of other people. I, I, I Twitter eavesdropped where there was just a kind of a thread of a bunch of people talking about Jake Shields. And it's great because – not great. This is terrible. I respect Jake Shields. Big fan. Total respect. Dude's a badass. But people are kind of catching on that – not that he's awkward because that would be, like, a severe understatement. But I've had this working theory that Jake Shields is functionally retarded. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> All right. He's, he, he's like, because I, I pretty much, you know, they were talking, like, they posted, like, it was great. Like, they posted, like, this, like, promo walk back with Strike Force. Like, he's at the champions. Like, a Bigfoot Silva. And they're just doing that slow walk down the street. In their defense, like, trained fucking English actors will tell you. Uh, in fact, Andrew, what, <laughs> Andrew Lincoln, uh. Uh, says so. Uh, the guy from The Walking Dead. He actually says it in the boy. Dan. Dan has a deep knowledge of random shit he watches. He's about to re reveal here. He says it in the commentary tracks for Love Actually. Wow, Dan. Why would you spend your time watching that? Uh, in one of the scenes where he's walking, he goes, "This is the hardest scene to shoot where I have to walk away." Uh, and uh, and he goes, "One of the hardest things as actors to do is to eat and to walk." And this is this is true. And Dan, Dan's very, very amateur acting experience. One of the hardest things to do is, is to walk. And uh, it's just you feel awkward. You think about it. If you think about it too much, you can totally tell you're thinking about it too much. So you just fuck up, right? Um, so you almost got to give yourself something to do. 
<laughs> so, but now you take that. Now you make if it's hard for an actor. Now you make a fighter do it. Now, now you're just not making a, any fighter do it. You're making Jake Shields do it, right? So he just looks so awkward. <laughs> I forget who tweeted. It was just so perfect, though. Like they were like, "Think, Jake. Think. Left foot, right foot. Sway your arms. Left foot, right foot. Sway your arms." And my thing was just like me and me and Brian, uh, who are as we're repeatedly on. We have this thing where like Jake Shields, like whether he's you're like working the corner, or he's like he could be walking out to a fight, and he just he has this look on his face where he's he looks like he's perpetually lost all the time. Like it doesn't matter what he's doing, he just constantly looks like he's perpetually lost. At which point, Capoza chimed in and is like, yeah, "I sat behind him at the." Uh, a recent at a recent fight and uh yeah I, I can I, I can attest to that he just was look lost all the time like Jake Jake your seats over here Jake this way Jake you're fighting Jake Jake Jake, Jake you gotta fight oh yeah yeah fight fight yes yeah fight oh fight 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 yes Jake like like I remember like everyone was making fun of like everyone thought it was like oh this fight the Connor and the Nate thing was staged remember the first scuffle not not the not the coffee throw but remember the first one the 196 one where like Jake like walks all the way around. Like looks like he's going for like he looks like he's like looks like he's smooth. Looks like he's like oh I'm gonna what's over here and then he's gonna gonna flank all the way around. But really it just it just looks super awkward and looks staged. But it wasn't staged. If like if you if you've been paying attention to how Jake Shield operates, like that was just Jake Shields. He probably would just was like really lost and he I think just at a certain moment like as soon as commotion he's like oh yeah action. I'm, like he knows what to do. Like he just has that re- retard strength and muscle memory. You know, that's why he got to middleweight, or you hear him like out muscling like heavyweights in the practice room. Like again, Dan Tom said he would abandon retard like 50 episodes ago, and here he is still saying it in today's society where someone will just audio drop that. Oh, by the way, really, really stoked. Uh, Danny Otto's peak of the peak of the peak behind the scenes. Danny Otto, our producer and MMA Junkie Radio. We're, we're doing this new thing called the. Uh, Called the drop off, we'll be doing uh, where uh, Danny's been collecting driveways. Or if you're, if, if you know, Dan Tom takes everything out of sexual context, surprise, surprise, you know, or makes the puts things in sexual context that shouldn't be. So now, like, you know, we'll say something that doesn't, you know, shouldn't be sexual, but you know, it's out of context, it completely sounds wrong. Um, so, like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you'll hear me go, Danny, get that drop, you know, like. You know, George would be something like, oh, man, it was so big and hard. It was hard to get. It was so big and hard. It was, oh. And like, Danny would get that drop and take it out of context. So he's collecting. Essentially, Danny's been just collecting dirt in all of us. And he's going he's gonna to drop it off on us probably in a couple months. So I'm excited for that. Um, I don't know why I brought that up. But, yeah, Jake Shields functionally retarded. That's Dan's theory. Wow, Dan, you really need to waste our time with that. All right, moving. Oh, uh, movies that I've seen. Catching up with this, then we're going to get right to the breakdowns after this This last thing. Uh, I saw her. A lot of you guys recommended me watch that. I tweeted about uh, what I felt about it, so I won't wax on too much. But it's just like it was, great. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, like, by the way, top five characters Dan Tom shamefully relates to, uh, Theodore Twombly, that, that character. Um Granted, it's like one of those timing things. It's like it reminds me of Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Both those movies and the timing, for some reason, like similar to this movie, everybody in Dan Tom's life was like, "Hey, you should, you should watch this movie." And <laughs> it's like Dan Tom's just fresh out of a breakup. Coincidentally, both those movies, and I'm like, "Why did you guys?" And Dan Tom doesn't like watch previews. Like I stopped doing that a while ago because previews give away way too much. You just go watch like Castaway. Castaway gives the whole the whole fucking movie away, right? Because even if they're not giving the whole movie away in Castaway, it's like a the movie The Perfect Storm. They're always going to use the money shot. It could be the most boring movie, but they're going to take the best fucking scene, you know, the ship going over the wave and they're going to give away the money shot. Like the preview gives away everything. You don't watch the previews. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what I'm going into. So I, I go into these movies and I'm like, why? The? And I leave and I'm like, this is a good movie. I get it. But fuck, man. Why y'all recommending me? <laughs> this guy, her, Theodore Twomley, this guy's like fucking super loner writer. Just <laughs> got out of a relationship. Uh, nice guy. <laughs> Gets shit on a bit. Like, come on. This is hitting a little bit close to home here. That being said, it was a good movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. Glasses and a mustache. Come on, a little hipster guy. All right, come on. We get it, Dan. Similarities, we get it. It was a good movie. I really dug it. Um, and it was probably good that I didn't watch it right when it came out because I lived in Brooklyn when it came out. It was like, it was fun. I, I lived in Bushwick, which was right outside Williamsburg, so pretty much hipster central. So I was like, fucking these hipsters, you know, commuting with a machete, cutting through these bastards every day. And uh, even though, I, you know, Dan Thomas is a hipster himself, but I'm a self-hating hipster. It's a difference. Mm. Take a drink, Dan. Relax. And uh, and yeah, I was just like, ah, they're probably just hyping this movie up. But uh, it was probably good I didn't watch it. Thanks, I was getting out of a relationship then. All right, Dan, move on. Uh, saw Ex Machina. That was also not similar, but not similar. Not so much fixated on the relationship, more about like you know futuristic take and taking that part of the human emotion and connection and, and commenting on where we're heading and for that what was really cool good good performances got a little Star Wars repeat with the uh, Dom Hall Gleason and uh, Oscar Isaac there um, Dom Hall Gleason I didn't even remember that was Brendan Gleason's son Brendan Gleason classic uh, Scottish actor right I don't know I was assuming he's just no he's not he's not Scottish is he I don't know maybe not Dan, just because every actor who was in Braveheart doesn't mean they're Scottish. I don't know if he was in Braveheart. God damn, I'm getting confused. I think I'm getting confused with that one guy's dad who was in Train Spotting and he plays the. Anyways, I'm getting on a tangent here. Uh, I got to see Crazy Rich Asians. Was hoping to, to see it uh, before this. You know, I didn't get to contribute to those opening box office numbers. You know, I try not to get too ethnic, but again, Dan Tom is somebody who's is Asian American who's actually dabbled in acting. Um. And you can actually click on it. Although I went to my IMDb page, they're missing a credit now. I'm bummed. They took my fight choreography credit uh, off of there. Granted, I haven't been on there in years, so I can't even remember the movie it was supposed to. But Escort Samurai, not a porno, guys. Relax. Dan Tom, I did it in college. Times were rough, but it wasn't that kind of a film. Escort Samurai is <laughs> still listed on there. Um, but yeah, man, I can't help it. You know, I mean, again, you know, I went, I went, you know. High school theater, college theater, uh, did, did acting stuff as a kid, did, even did like a professional acting school under Gerald Gordon, who most notably taught uh, Adrian Brody and, and other, other other greats dating back to, uh, fuck, what's his name? Even guys from the 60s, he played uh, Daniel and uh, D-Day, he played D-Day in Animal House, D-Day! Anyways, he doesn't talk, so I can't really quote a scene from him, but he was in the West Wing anyways, but Gerald Gordon, old Jewish guy, right? And uh, it was after you know it was, it was after he 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 retired his main school in L.A. and he would go back between L.A. and to his Vegas house out here. Anyways, long story. I'll, I'll spare it to you. Uh, but I was lucky enough to get in there, and also was able to fork up enough money to to get in after getting accepted. Um, but and it was it was crazy. One of the things he just just to just tie it up. Okay, this old old Jewish guy, whatever. And he, super experienced, been in the business in the fifties. Again, like. Like I said, just credentialed up the ass, right? And um, he said, Daniel, you know, it's so crazy. 
you, he's like a borderline racist, but didn't mean to be racist. It just was the time that he was from. He goes, you Orientals are some of the most, in the last 20 years especially, the most talented students I've ever had. Um, and uh, it's sad because Hollywood could give two shits about you. There's no roles for you. And he wasn't trying to discourage me. You know, Gerald was being very real. Gerald actually really liked me. Um, you know, which it's a whole other story. I think you think Gerald swung from the other side of the fence, but neither here nor there. <laughs> Nothing creepy happened. But but you know, he was being really real. He was like, you know, there's just not there's no rules for you out there. You know, and if he's like, if, you know, this is true. If hell froze over, and they decided to have an Asian sitcom, which you know, up until now, you know, up until the fresh off the boat, all they had was that what that fucking half a season of the Helen Joe shit or whatever. That was or the Korean girl, whatever. I don't know. Um, again, I don't even know. And I'm an Asian American actor, and uh, or was, but you know what I mean. Yeah, just aware of that shit, and I don't even know, right? Uh, he's like, if hell froze over, they're gonna go for like stereotypical um, Jackie Chan stuff. Or by the way, like the, a lot of those guys, they speak better English than what they do. If you actually, like, I've met met Jackie and these guys, but they literally will have them. It sounds super racist, <laughs> maybe less less done now, hopefully. But but back then, even as Recent as the 90s, have them Asian up the fucking lines. American productions. I shit you not. Knowing PAs, brothers, uh, ex-best friends, brothers who were PAs on those sets like Rush Hour, say these things, okay? It's fucked up, man. This is this fucked up stereotype. We don't, we're not allowed. That's why I joke about, like, fucking, what's his name from The Walking Dead being a hero? Like, because, like, as David Cho said, they didn't let Jackie Chan finger bang. Fucking Jet Li and Aaliyah, Romeo must die. Two warring families, Romeo and Juliet. What the? It's so obvious. The fucking president, the presence in the script. It was a kiss. They do a last minute change because they don't think the audiences will like that. And what? What is Jet Li? Jet Li gets to fucking dance. They don't even fucking bump ends when they dance. They make the fucking Chinese guy have to dance. You know how pathetic it is. Like that set us back. Like if they would have. <laughs> Like Eddie Wong said, if they would have let Jet Li, and I was in high school, this is appropriate. If they would have let Jet Li at least just kiss Leah, they didn't have to have him fuck. Just at least let Jet Li kiss Leah, I would have gotten laid so much more in high school. Holy shit. But instead, you made the Chinese guy try to dance with, not just making a Chinese guy dance, but making a Chinese guy dance with, 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 with a black chick. Okay, that's like beautiful coordination, beauty, and movement. And again, Chinese guy dancing. <laughs> That's not helping us get laid. I'm, I'm Asian. I'm not trying to be mean, but let's be honest here, okay? That was not helping our people get laid there. And, and again, to quote the, the, the great David Cho, they won't let uh, Jackie Chan finger bang. Uh, anyway, sorry. It's just really rare. You really have to go back to fucking, what was it, Joy Luck Club, where the last time they got this many Asians together. And then just before that was uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Shout out to Big Trouble in Little China. And then you got to go back to like literally the late 60s. Uh, Flower Drum Song is a musical where you got the guy that played Takagi from Die Hard. You see a young version of that if you go watch Flower Drum Song. Wow, it's a half hour. I didn't even get into the fights. We're going to get into the fights right now, folks. Sorry about that. I'm going to try to see Crazy Rich Asians and do my due diligence. I'll get on a fucking tangent forever if I stick on it. Um, let's jump out of the movies and into Lincoln, Nebraska to the Fight Pass portion of the card. Haniaga, everybody! Speaking of uh, movies and 80s movies, uh, Haniaya again, it just feels like he should be wearing a button-up Hawaiian shirt where his chest hair is still exposed at the top. Maybe he's got a gold chain. Like, I just feel like that's like Haniaya's permanent look. <laughs> Looks like he's all as happy. Um, except for his last fight, which we'll get into. Uh, that was just, wow. You know, his, his mother passed a couple days before... Uh, 
or from listeners of the last podcast, it was so awesome. His mother passed, or his grandma died. Sorry, that was a that was a that was a pull from the uh, Carlos Condit, Ariel Mitsumira. I mean, Jordan, we're having that moment. But no, that was a really sad moment and uh, really cool recap. By the way, speaking of uh, Fernanda Prachas, uh, over on MMA Junkies, a really a good article of Han Yaya and his mindset heading into this fight. Which explains a lot about his turnaround, and he's going to need it because another guy making a turnaround is Luke Sanders coming off a win. He had a rough, rough streak, um, and the line—I'm not sure how it opened—is pretty tightly, a uh, little movement, but, but it's staying tight. Sanders is the dog right now. I don't know by how much. I'm going to get a more updated line for you. My page expired because, of course, Dan Tom fucking went on his rant. Minus 125, Yaya, plus 105, Luke Sanders. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like Yaya here. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's a tight fight, and I could see it should be. But maybe it's because of just the lines being overinflated pretty much across the board for this card. It really left you a little bit uh, what you wanted to play as far as anything, especially favorites go. Uh, but Yaya, it's close enough to a pick em where... Um, I actually just threw 1.5 at a, at minus 125. Uh, you know, you could sprinkle on the pl- in the sub plus 174 because that that's that's gonna, how he's probably going to have to win uh, for the most part, unless he just is able to backpack um, Luke Sanders for two of the rounds. Hani Yaya has shown the gas in the past, but if, if you, again, kind of referencing the article that I just referenced, you know, he he was running his own camps and training in Brazil. This was before he made that American top team move that did a lot of guys good. A lot of these Brazilian guys who went over there, you know. Uh, Pedro Munoz, another 135 Brazilian, went over there. Hanato Moicano, who uh, is also in relation there with Hani Yaya, um, made the move over there. Uh, So a lot of those guys have been really doing well uh, doing that. And, uh, you know, we also saw a byproduct of that is the striking approve a bit, you know. He... He'll shift a bit, a little bit to southpaw. We're seeing a lot more people. That was another thing I noticed doing in a tape study in general. We're seeing a lot more people shift their stance. But Hani Yaya, his more, his is more so. I think because he just loves that snatch single. You know, I, I, I talk about it so much, predicating how important it is to predicate a, a, a good your grappling and your scrambling game for MMA off of a single. Like how important it is. Uh, if, even just re- irregardless of the takedowns, uh, getting a takedown off it for protection, scrambling for a position. And that's what Aniaya does uh, because even if he misses the first shot, he'll snatch and dump, you know, kind of like he's hiking the football. Um, or he'll drop down uh, kind of like Big Nog, uh, Damian Maya, where he'll do like a half guard pull because he can hit either hit sweeps or come up and go to that deep half where he's kind of hooking on the outside of the leg, deep hooking, grabbing around to the waist or below the ass, coming up like, a, again, all off that single leg, right? You know, uh, you know, go 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 watch uh, a lot of the groundwork from from Little little Nog. Little Nog. It's almost like a, uh, God, I call it, I believe in, I, I, I don't use the jiu-jitsu terms as much, but they call it what, the, the Homer Simpson role or something where, you're kind of on the single leg position that I always preach, uh, where you're kind of low on the leg and you're kind of wrapped on the leg, like like it's a failed single leg, where little Nogueira he'll go from like he's like diving for a deep half, but that same momentum, it's like that pendulum kind of left to right momentum, right where that he'll go in for the deep half, but then he'll and the counter momentum to that is he he sits up to a single leg, but if that single leg's not there, and then the, instead of keeping on pushing for a single leg's not there. 
it'll, okay, you know, the guy, a guy's, you know, whizzering and, 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 and encountering and hipping into you. Okay, fine. Then, boom, I'm diving back under for that deep half, and I'm going to roll you over for the quote-unquote Homer Simpson role, I believe the jiu-jitsu guys uh, call it. Again, Dan Thomas. Dan Thomas has long been, it's been a while since I put on the pajamas, and I got to I gotta get back to it. I'll say that as an insult. I, I actually uh, got to do intend on, uh, well, I'm doing that. Uh, I don't want to talk about myself right now. Uh, that that road, it's, uh, nah, no grappling for Dan Tom yet though, not yet. Um, yeah, so uh, I I really like that. I think that's gonna serve him well here because Sanders does come from a wrestling base. You know, I wrestled in high school, I believe, uh, and some accolades at 145 pounds. But the thing with Sanders, you know, not just in the Ariel Alcantara fight where he was grappling too long with a guy like Yuri, but it was kind of a similar thing with Sukumtat, where he, you know, granted. It could, you know, some of it could have been attributed to. I love John Crouch. He does a great job of cornering. But John Crouch said between rounds one and two, "Hey man, you're getting him out there. He's only going for single shots. Put the pace on him a little more." And boy, Luke Sanders took it to heart, and then he opened himself up for the counter uh, hook uh, that he got hit with by Sukumta and finished right. So it's kind of a similar thing where he just got the common thread there was he got over anxious, and then even in his fight with, excuse me. Patrick Williams, where he has Patrick Williams hurt multiple times, and Patrick Williams is gassing, as he often does. Patrick Williams, again, round number two, where he got, just got stopped in the previous two fights, he gets hurt at the end of round number two again, and thankfully the bell was it was at the end. Um, not that he was like in danger of being stopped, but the momentum was not going his way. He needed that 45 seconds to recover, so not exactly, you know, it, it wasn't exactly quelled, though we did see Luke Sanders with a new team, splitting time between Nashville and going out to L.A. with uh, a Dynamics, I believe, with Anthony Hardonk. Oh, man, Anthony Hardonk and Christian Wellish, I believe, one of my favorite leg kick TKOs in the UFC slash MMA. Yeah, for sure. I want to say that. Was it UFC 80? Was that the rapid fire? Yeah, anyways. Oh, good stuff. Anthony Hardonk. Um, but I don't think, at least from... Instagram didn't look like uh, Luke Sanders was there too much. A lot just at Nashville. And limited training partners and limited training out there. It's growing. It's getting better. More guys stand, coming from there, staying from there, creating their camps out there from the OSPs to the Chandlers. But uh, not a lot. Uh, Keep Choppin's out there, and he's working with Dustin Ortiz. That's a great guy. Sorry. Dustin Ortiz is going to make you work and give you those wrestling looks, even though at Ortiz, no slouch, more of a submission defense than offense. You know, he's not going to have that same submission offense level as the uh, Abu Dhabi uh, uh, Nogi style Haniaya. That's why I like Haniaya. He's not just one of those gi guys. Again, he's world champion, but also Abu Dhabi, you know, you know, uh, Nogi. And, and you see that. He's more of a catch-as-catch-can in his style. You really see that in that neck crank where he gets that kind of variation of a Depending on what position he was floating to, uh, it was, he was going between a half Nelson and almost like double cow catcher uh, variation that he had on H- Russell Doan, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie yeah, had on in Russell Doan, and uh, and I really liked that. I just and you know if, if his gas ta- if his gas tank is intact, um, I think he could just make it the dog fight, and uh, it's not going to give time to. Um, not going to give time for Luke Sanders to settle, you know. Uh, that fight was wonderful for Patrick Williams uh, going into round three, but he just Patrick Williams didn't have the gas. I was thinking, like, man, if I was in Williams' corner, and I probably would have told him to gamble and do it anyways because he didn't really have a choice. But especially if, you know, my fighter had more of a gas tank, I would suggest to Williams, like, just go out there and start heavy. I know you're tired right now. 
uh, and you got you, you, you got to fight in bursts like you normally do. But if you go at him now, not just while he's hurt, but don't let a guy like Luke Sanders settle. You know, you got to keep that guy in an unsettled phase. Get 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 him. You got to get a guy like Luke Sanders at least from the outside. It seems like to to really get in that fight mode, get him out of that pace, especially right now where he's at in his career and this this little patch, this transitional patch. He needs consistency. He needs to feel himself. He needs to be on balance, controlling the pace. You cannot let him control the pace. You just got to go at him. And thank, that's thankfully, that's, that's Ronnie Ayala's style. He brings a high-paced fight. Um, so I don't think he's going to allow Luke Sanders to kind of settle into that pace. It's going to trigger Luke Sanders in that mode. And though Luke Sanders is dangerous, it's when he's in that aggressive mode, as we've seen, that's when he's getting caught. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, and Hanayaya, you know, from his nutrition to training, looking good. So I did a play on Hanayaya there. All right, next fight: uh, John Tuck plus one eighty, Drew Dober minus two twenty. Um, Dober, uh, I go on Dober here. Essentially, you know, you could make an argument that Dober lost that last fight against. Uh, I think I might have even scored it. I picked Dober, but I might have scored it for. Um, what's his name? Frank Camacho. Uh, live, you know, uh, but but essentially, Tuck, you know, he I think he's got better kicks than Camacho, not better boxing, and uh, you're splitting hairs, but maybe when he gets the back, you know, you could be better as far as jujitsu wise, but but Camacho just I think the better, uh, even though it's it's mainly those sweep trip takedowns that he was hitting on Dober, because that's his main takedown. He doesn't really have doubles or anything. I still think Camacho is a better wrestler, the naturally bigger guy, uh, the more stronger guy, the more dangerous guy. And more importantly, Camacho was a guy that, that was going to match pace better. And I picked Dober because I felt Dober was ultimately going to move better and throw more is what, and, and with his durability, that kind of what led me to pick him against Camacho and what was go a close fight going in and a close fight coming out. So against a guy that's smaller, throws less, and is much more inconsistent, say what you will about Camacho, he consistently comes out there. His gas tank, his choices, his results may not be consistent, but Camacho is consistent in the sense that he's always going to come out there in war, whereas we're not getting consistent performances from Tuck. And Tuck, even you know, if it's granted against a lot of good guys, he's he gets in a good, maybe he t tends to make it a weird fight, you know, um, that Kevin Lee fight, which was just a super weird fight back in the day. But you look at his other fights that have gone to decision. They, they, it's because he gets lulled into this weird pace, almost like if you can't find the finish or hurt the guy, then it's not going to happen. You know, he beat Gomi last time out, but that was Gomi skeleton. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know how much stock we should put into that. Um, that being said, I got a lot of love for John Tuckman. He's a real awesome dude. We've had him in the studio. He's an Islander. He's a uh, nice guy, tough guy. Uh, trains with some good people, uh, good southpaws he's trained with, you know, from, from Hafa to Dos Anjos, mainly Benil Daryush, you know, they're tight. So I don't think the southpaw thing is going to be too much of a trouble uh, at all. But but Dober, you know, not just younger, but where he at, is at in his career, I think we're, we're still seeing more progression, whereas Tuck, we're still trying to see consistency from him. Or, uh, or you know, forget progression at this point, so... I'll take Dober there, but I don't know. I'm not as confident as that line as I stayed away. All right, Calderwood Faria is the next fight. Um, Kalindra Faria, or uh, I don't know why. I always want to say Kalindra Faria like, like Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina, Kalindra Faria. Ah, Kalindra Faria there. She's a tough Brazilian there. 
Dennis Farina. Sorry, Dennis Farina is that guy from uh, Snatch, fucking tr Big Trouble. Yeah, Dan, everybody remembers that terrible movie. And uh, he plays like the same character in every movie. He looks the same in every movie. He was in the original Manhunter. He was a cop in there as well. He, the Chicago guy, Dennis Farina. Huh. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, Dan, no one cares who Dennis Farina is. Kalindra uh, Feria versus Joanne Calderwood. Oh, uh, JoJo. I like JoJo Calderwood. Um, I, I, she's been, you know, speaking of inconsistency, boy, she's been super inconsistent. But, man, since moving down to, here to Vegas in March, uh, I haven't seen her in person. Man, we, uh, we should probably get her in Junkie Radio. She, she, I'll admit, JoJo's one of my longtime favorites. Uh, following her from back in the day, before she ever went to the UFC or her division was even open to the UFC. I just remember seeing one of her earlier fights. God, I can't remember what it was, but she finished the girl with knees. Fucked her up with knees and elbows. And she had that Nike kind of thing and she was Scottish and had the hair, the aggressive haircut. Oh my God. I was just, all right. I'm, that's the tattoos, the punk rock. Oh, Jesus. I just saw she was at a Danzig concert and I was actually thinking about going to that concert. I'm like, Dan Tom. Like, all right. Anyways, yeah. my type. Uh, all around my type. I'm a, not gonna lie, Dan Tom likes them punk rock chicks and loves Dan, Dan Tom loves the Scottish accent. I love Jojo. She throws elbows, knees, and kicks. <laughs> kicks. Very good kicks, sir. Little Scottish accent, very, very cute. But she's got the mousy one. I can't do I can't do Jojo's. I could just, just I just like Scottish accents. Oh my gosh. I know most people don't even like uh, like it, but hey, I do. Um Let's see what the odds for that one are. JoJo's a favorite minus 170. Faria plus 150. Faria is going to be live, though, because I think this is just going to be a freaking war. Uh, I'm going to side with JoJo just for her, you know, her defense is, is, is not as uh, desirable. Faria, though, her defense never was a standout part of her game. She's getting better with it, just with her distance management. I think, again, back to more fighters shifting. I think her really incorporating a lot more shifting the southpaw um, I was really doing that. It's giving her the. It's making her uh, being aware of these setups that she wants is forcing her to be more aware of f footwork, which is in turn forcing her to be more aware of distance. And distance is a really effective defense in MMA. Okay, because the gloves not as effective blocking with the gloves. We have seen that. Um. So there's something to be said for that. Uh. But uh. But now um. Faria's aggression still makes... She has some elbows herself, and she'll take them when it's there, like in the ground exchanges. But when it comes to these pocket exchanges, her in, in instinct still is that, like, still that shoot, shoot, almost like shoot box style, I'm going to swing wide. And JoJo, even when she showed up in her, in, you know, inconsistent shape, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be rude with, by saying that, but you know, these women are athletes. So, uh, you know, she shows up in her inconsistent shape and performances. Her speed and sharpness for those strikes are still there, you know. She's hitting these little elbows in these little small spaces, and I really, uh, Calderwood is, and I really like that. Um, and unless it's like a girl who's like a physical force in the ground, I think Calderwood can hold her own. Uh, and I think the same, I think both girls kind of share in that kryptonite, right? We've seen physical forces slash ground specialists can really plague both these girls, but they're not going to have to deal with that. I think this is just going to be a hell of a scrap. Uh, the over is way overpriced, though. I'm not sure I'd be confident enough to see either girl getting a finish. So, yeah, I'm just leaving it alone. 
on all on all angles. But yeah, there's that fight. Uh, George Sullivan versus Mickey Gall. I'm not gonna say too much about this one. Again, I'm not as confident as the price is. Minus three forty for Mickey Gall, plus two eighty for Georgie Sullivan. Um, Sullivan. It's tough. It's just, I mean, it, the breakdown's pretty ba- basic. It's it's if it's, as long this is more just your, your proverbial test fight, right? As long, I'm sure Gull is improving, you know, with the mat, you know, especially roommating with the master Eves Edwards and rooming down there in L.A. and uh, really evolving his game in the time off. I'm sure we're gonna see a better version, but really his bread and butter is what's gonna win him this fight. Gull's got decent takedowns, good frame, uh, decent force behind him, and you could tell that. Sullivan's really made avid points to efforts, I should say, to, to, to get better at his takedown defense. But it's still like a clutch point where he's losing these fights. You know, you go back to the Tim Means fight all the way to as recently as his last fight coming back from the layoff. Uh, he would have maybe step one and step two in the right position. Like as soon as he overextended on a punch and Nico went in, uh, would change his level. Like you would immediately see Sullivan hip down hard with an overhook. Like, that was really drilled into his head. And then when you listen to his corner, um, Pellegrino, shouts to Batman, Pellegrino. Uh, we really shouting those things. So this is something that's really, they really worked on with George. But it's when, even when they, he's successful in that first defense, it's, it's when step two comes along. Not even step three or four, even when just step two comes along, really. Um, George has problems, you know, even just facing the right direction as far as where to put his hips. And you saw that as far as the... the the last and final takedown he gave up. Um, not the sweet reversal that Nico Price said. I love those funk reversals, by the way. Where guys just use their frame. But uh, but but yeah, you saw that, and uh, and yeah, I think that's ultimately what's going to be the crux and why I picked Gull, regardless of whatever Gull's improvements are. Um, he's still on a, at the end of the day on an upward trajectory, whereas whereas Sullivan, God bless him. Is on a downward. All right, Marcus Paluco Perez now up to a minus one hundred five. I want to say he was an under- underdog, um, and he was going to be one of my. Man, both my underdogs got got bet up to to favorites, and I unlike the other underdog, I didn't grab uh, Paluco uh, when I was uh, shopping earlier this week. Um, Gets Andrew Sanchez, who's now listed at minus one fifteen. Um, yeah, man, I guess learn my lesson off Andrew Sanchez, you know. Uh, uh, ever since his Anthony Smith fight, where I, I pretty much, if you remember that one uh, on this podcast, where I picked Andrew Sanchez, but I said it's on the fights to avoid, and we're uh, because you know you see signs of him gassing. Smith comes on late. I could see a third round or something coming on late, um, and sure enough, what happens? You know, third round finish. Uh, so then I learned my lesson and just just pick against him there, but. Maybe I, maybe I might not have. I picked him, but just was tentative, you know. I think we all kind of just backed off Andrew Sanchez at that point. I can't even remember what the line was or what, what the pick was for the Janes. That was one of the cards. The reason why, because actually that was one of the cards. I remember now. I skipped that card. That was one of the cards that I, I didn't do. Uh, it was one of those kind of, you know, BS uh, tough finale cards right before a, a, a significant card. So I was like, well, why am I going to waste time on this? And uh, thankfully my editors felt the same way. So yeah, I didn't cover that card, so I'm I'm off the hook there. So I don't know what you you what you bet, but yeah, I I, I stayed the fuck away from that fight. And we saw he gassed out and essentially just <laughs> it's comical, just like gassing himself out, beating up a guy, and then just then gets his ass beat. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm going to go with Marcus Perez here because Marcus Perez, I was wrong about I thought he was just kind of an imitator guy, which is funny because you read his like UFC profile. He's like, ah, my imitation from imitating Bruce Lee. So the guy, I wasn't wrong there. The guy's a performer. He's an actor. But what I was wrong on, he's got a real athletic base, and I think that's what saves him. It's allowing him to pick up legitimate technique. He's a brown belt, worked with Damian Maya, and, uh, you know, there, there were some questionable decisions in the back that he did, but how he got there, you saw that he was working his real half-guard shoulder pressure game like Damian Maya uh, really preaches and does himself. I, I, I love that game, um, and it, it earned him the, a back, the back position that earned him his win in his last fight. He has old Bat Baknevik there. He fought Bat Baknevik from Kenosha. Old Bat Baknevik from Kenosha uh, when he choked him out. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I, I, essentially that, that athletic intangible that Paluco Perez, I think, makes him, brings his, his game work. Uh, that, that brings his, brings his game work, work hard. Brings his game together. Uh, is the exact thing, puzzle piece, that Andrew Sanchez is missing. missing you know, Andrew Sanchez looks like he has an athletic intangible. You know, he looks like, a, you know, a well, well-built guy, but Paluco Perez really seems to have those things. And I just see him getting better each time out. I'm not going to bet against that. Um, but without a plus sign next to his name, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to lay heavy on him either. But that's my take on that fight. All right, Corey Sanhagen versus Yuri Alcantara, which, uh, oh, well, by the way, we're on FS2 now. We're too, too, we're too deep into the FS2. Uh, trying to trying to make up for these since I, I, I fucking lost track and ranted. By the way, uh, <laughs> shouts to Aaron Bronstetter who, who uh, replied to the tweet that I referenced of my content change. Going, oh, this is more time for Dan Tom's strange stories. First of all, Aaron, if you all should know, all Dan Tom stories are strange. <laughs> but second of all, yes, unfortunately, be careful what you wish for. I didn't even fucking try that time. Honestly, I didn't. I was actually trying to go faster because I wanted to record this thing earlier, and I went late like that. So be careful what you wish for. I won't try to abuse your ears, but yes, that, that, that is something else. Well. More room for Dan Tom stories. Shouts to Aaron, Aaron Bronster. Give, give him a follow on on uh, on Twitter. I should have looked it up. I'm pretty sure it's at Aaron Bronstetter, though. All right. One of Canada's finest. All right. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, one of Colorado's finest. Does stuff for kids. I forget which charity, but uh, I really like this guy all around, in and out of the cage. I uh, love his style. And almost like... Karate kickboxing, shifting stance style. I, I, I love it. I don't know if I love the minus 225. I get it. Um, maybe I'm guessing the odds makers and the sharps are, are, are high on Sanhagen like like I am. But you guys also know I'm also a guy that's high on Yuri Alcantara. I have been on the past. I've played him in the past. But but I'm, I'm siding with Sanhagen here. Um, by the way, Yuri Alcantara's last fight. Uh, fuck. Who'd he, who'd he, oh, yeah. Joe Soto. Man, oh my God! Uh, <laughs> I wrote my notes here for that. I wrote prints and liver kicks. First of all, you all know I love your Alcantara's liver kick because he wears it. He throws it like in a cross plane across the body. He has this forty-five angle cross plane he does to his shin, where he's really like smacking across. He's not coming at that. Uh, he's not coming at your typical forty-five angle. Again, it's like it's like a it's like a horizontal frontal cross frame. Like the way he delivers. The angle in the shin. It's really hard to explain. I love it. But the great thing is, there's kind of um, 
or the, the, the one negative thing to it is there is a little bit of a telegraph if you're looking for that kind of wide hinge on the hip or the wide hinge in the kick, I should say. It doesn't, doesn't hinge openly on, on the hip so much as it just, it kind of uh, windshield wipes across the way he kicks. The great part is he used that same look where it looks like he's coming horizontal and wide and you see Joe Soto's arms kind of come up, right? To block it and it probably would have caught the outside of Joe Soto's arm if he threw it a traditional or his variation of liver kick. But you see Yuri switch the angle and just hinge his knee to swing up the middle instead of swinging over and across like it normally does. He hinges it up the middle like a front kick and hits the liver that way. Oh, so beautiful. As a left kick, liver kick connoisseur, fuck. Please rewatch that if you think you, 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 it was just a regular liver kick. Please rewatch that. Because at the same time, after he hurts him with it, what you have to rewatch, the reason why I wrote Prince is because the taunt. Now, Yuri does this in a lot of his fights, okay? If you've watched Yuri and done your tape study, you're going to be familiar, but I'm just going to cite this because it's the most relevant and it just gives you, it's just a short one round fight, so, you know, it's only last a minute. Go to your fire up your fight pass. Yuri does this taunt where he's already a gangly dude, right? He gets really up high and his arms get low and his like hands go up almost like prissy, like prissy, like that. And I wrote Prince because it reminds me of that Chappelle show skit where remember when like they, they, they show up and Charlie Murphy's like, yeah, and then all of a sudden Prince shows up with his crew in the club. And it's like the smoke, you know, the ambiance, and they're walking through and like it's <laughs> And like Prince is like introducing, he's like, and then he was rolling with that one cat. He was a new cat in Shangri La that everybody thought was a girl, Mickey Frill. <laughs> like that, you know, like, like he looked like, like, like mixed between that guy and actually Dave Chappelle as Prince because Chappelle would do this thing as Prince. He did it in the basketball court. And uh, he d he does it in the club scene where he's like, mm, and he does this like he gets really all up straight and. And uh, Yuri, Yuri almost does it to a fucking T. It's like his taunt. Like, you know how Gaethje, when he gets rocky, has the badass taunt? Or even if he's rocky, he's like, he puts his hands up. He's like, come on. Yuri, his taunt, he's like, oh, I hurt you, motherfucker. All right, it's on now, bitch. Like, usually, like, it'd be, it's, like a, it's like a weird, spastic Nate Diaz version where Nate Diaz would be like, his hands out would be like, what? What? Whereas Yuri's hands shoot out, but immediately straight down to his side. And he's just erect and he's just doing this weird like prince thing it's it's funny and it, it almost looks like the uh the basketball scene too again with the the shangri-la guys like charlie murphy was like man they were setting these fruity picks on the court <laughs> that's what that's what it looks like <laughs> please please at least one of my listeners go watch that and get back to me on twitter tell me if 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 yuri alcantara resembles fucking Dave Chappelle uh, as Prince, uh, or any member of his crew. Please tell me that. Anyways, um, I, I got Sanhagen here. I, I, I just ranted about that. I'm, I'm trying to expedite it here. I'll just say this is another one of the proverbial tests where, for me, I don't really see, you know, the lines looking here, it's like an inside the distance, the way that the props are lined out, and I believe even the way the over-under may even be lined out. Oh, let me see here. Uh, no, the Osberg's not sure where it's going to go, and rightfully so. It's pretty volatile, but I actually I think it sh should go to a decision that's projected to go, at least if I'm in the Sanhagen camp, because this is your classic real dangerous veteran fight, um, you know, on paper, uh, macro, but but micro as far as, like, the styles go. Um, 
I, again, I love that shift in karate kickboxing, high volume, the numbers he puts, and and even uh, the defensive savviness, the head movement, the, the, the situational uh, and pocket awareness that he's showing when he's moving. But the, the, at the end of the day, there's no free lunches. Num- if you're putting out numbers, if you're putting out pressure, if you're doing things like shifting, as much as I love it, as much as it's picking up a trend for good reason, you're opening yourself up to traffic coming back your way. It's a two-way street. There's no free lunches here, folks, no matter how good you are. Um, that's why guys like TJ Dillashaw or Frankie Edgar in their primes uh, in, in victories and defeat have marked up fucking faces. There's no free lunches for this. So you got a guy with a liver kick, that, that dangerous left hand, a heavy left cross, um, and power's the last thing to go. 36, 37-year-old bantamweight or no. So this is a rear, this is, I'm staying away from this fight, and that's why I don't really like the price so much. But I'm picking Sanhagen, but this is the proverbial test fight. That's why you're seeing these surrounding lines. Um, and that's how you can tell when, when the line gets gas, even like minorly gas. There's way more gas lines than this line, believe me. I'm not, I'm not trying to overly dramatize it, but just for the point, when you see a line where it's a clear, you know, two, at least minimum, a clear two and a half. Uh, plus favorite, right? Or minus, you know what I mean, but, but or, or higher than that, at least favorite, uh, which this roughly qualifies, but yet you see the over and under lines and the prop lines are really tight competitive, which shows the odds makers and the betters aren't sure where to place their money. And yeah, that's kind of a confirmation that you shouldn't be as confident on those, as, as those money lines suggest. Not as confident. And I agree. Should not be that confident. Oh, I'm staying away. All right. I think this is the last fight before we'll take our break. Yeah. Uh, Kraus versus Alves. I won't be too long on this one either. I don't like this fight for James Kraus, man. This was another one of those lines that it's going to be one of the higher lines that jump out at you. But not necessarily so um, if you're familiar with these fighters. And I'm somebody who's been probably one of the more uh, harder guys on Warley. Not really. You know, more probably just me patting myself on the back for picking barbs against them back in the day, you know, but, but Alvis has come a long way since that, uh, version of just the one round, uh, uh, habitual clock checker. Speaking of Charlie Murphy, he's a clock checker. He's a habitual clock checker. Like Alvis is really, you know, he, he really paced himself in that fight against the, uh, what was it? The German or the Polish cat? The, the random European cat. I can't remember his name now. It's escaping me. And then in his last fight against, um, Aliyev, where, you know, I went against my better instincts and I, I might've, I definitely didn't put money on it. it. Was I remember it being a fight to avoid, but I actually think I might have sided with Aliyev there just because I thought he was just going to make it boring and turn it into a wrestling fight because the dude needed to win and da-da-da-da, but that was just you know, bad um, bad pick. And then Worley just looked really good. You know, he... he, he much more proven guy than than, than his, uh, which was, I believe, was like a last-minute replacement. The other guy before, uh, the European guy they pulled for him to, to fight. Uh, a much more a more proven guy in Aliyev, well, even though Aliyev's sample size was sketchy as far as, like, you know, he had some layoffs there. But we've seen that layoff doesn't matter as much, and Alves just went in there as a, as a much better version of himself. He still had the aggression, but it was a measured aggression, you know. He damaged his face, but didn't get over hungry for the kill and was pacing himself really well. I like that. Or is Kraus, you know, Kraus is not like he's got, I would say, you know, oh, Kraus maybe is past the victory. Uh, okay, he's got to out, outcraft Worley and out-veteran him, get him tired, and then have his moments late. But that's that's not really Kraus's game either. You know, m- maybe more so that he's at welterweight. Uh, maybe he'll have more energy. He's not abusing his body with a cut. But, I mean, you know, 
even going back to his fight with Shane Campbell, a fight that uh, uh, I picked him against. Uh, shout out to Shane. Every time I hear Shane Campbell, I think of uh, Anya because he used to come out to Anya back with like, his K1 fights. Who can say Whatever that fucking... God, it's terrible. Sorry, I'm abusing your earphones there. But uh, it's just the most random fucking, like, sounds like a cat food commercial. <laughs> Shane Campbell comes out to the song. It's fucking perfect. Uh, but, yeah, you saw that fight where, you know, you, you know, I believe Shane Campbell had his back laid and starts to tire. We kind of saw that a bit with, um, started kind of tiring even a bit with, uh, what's his name? Fucking looks like a mix between a serial killer and wannabe Jake Joan Hall Southpaw. Um, yeah, that one guy that... Alex, God damn it, it's gonna bother me. Let me just click on it real quick. Moved up from 145. Alex Jones. Alex White. That's it. Alex White. Yeah. By the way, I think he's fighting Jim Miller next. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I got Willie Alves there, but it's 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 too high. I mean, if you want to put him in some parlay fodder or whatever, if you're playing that madman's game, you crazy fucks, go ahead. But on that beat, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to break down the main card of UFC Lincoln right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Cucarachas enojadas. Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the main card of UFC Lincoln. Uh, I'm going to take another drink. Water, people. Water. Relax. Relax. It's uh, The safety is on. The safety is on. Yeah. Um, going to jump into the main card. Just real quick, something I forgot to say earlier. By the way, I hope Dan Tom doesn't come off douchey or name-dropping because... because in re- in real life, believe it or not, I don't know if it comes across in this podcast. I'm actually pretty pretty self deprecating, dude. So maybe it's that wiring that's just uh, hitting the douche monitors off. So I feel like I have to acknowledge it. I hate name dropping and doing all those things, and whether it's MMA related or, or like I was even a little bit earlier. And as I'm about to just just for a quick story, uh, quick quick thing, real quick here. Uh, if anything like with a, like a celebrity or some bullshit like that or whatever, even on a small level um just basically like it, it's funny like i just you know I, I i'm so used to downplaying stuff and not you know i don't have anything interesting to say who am i what do i have to offer and dan tom a couple of years ago realized i'm like oh shit you actually uh accumulated uh some some uh some stories and experiences uh who knew traveling you know traveling the world uh, whether by yourself or for martial arts or uh you know, competing in cages or singing on stages and Performing on stages and do, just doing different things, and you, you, I, I sucked at all of them. Believe me, <laughs> I sucked at everything. But just doing them kind of, you know, gave me a bunch of experiences, which is probably responsible to why I'm on a microphone, even, or you know, have a job to write shit. And, I don't know, which I still don't know why any of you guys care, but you do. Thank you. But yeah, um, so why not share it? Is what I'm trying to say. So that's my intent. I don't mean to be like name droppy or like this is what I did. 
But fuck, man, if you got information, you got experiences, why not share it? Some people might actually think it's it's cool and it's an insight that, you know, not everybody not everybody has. Um, so, uh, so yeah, if, if it could come off douchey, I apologize. It's not my intent. But uh, I will continue to <laughs> name drop as I feel it's relevant. And uh, with the, the one I was talking about with the, the acting school, I don't, really, I don't really talk about that part of my, my, my chapter in my life that much. But just real quick, because some of you guys might, might think this is pretty cool. But yeah, this, this dude, like I said, he, Gerald Gordon was the acting coach, and he, he trained a bunch of well-known actors, and it was cool. So he had like all these old VHS tapes of like um, like Adrian Brody in the early 90s doing the same monologues and assignments. In fact, at the end of the year, uh, the first year I was with him, he, he, that was one of the treats is all the monologues he assigned you, he, 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 he'd play, uh, he'd dust off these old VHS tapes, and it'd be like famous actors who did his classes doing the same monologue you did. And uh, a lot of the ones he signed, Adrian Brody signed for me. So it was like, you'd see how you're like, oh man, I'm so shitty. <laughs> like I, I already thought I was shitty, but now I'm really shitty. You're going to play fucking a really good actor even when he was young. But it was cool because you like watch like a 19 year old fucking Adrian Brody in some old dude's fucking living room, right? With some acting class, like perform this monologue. And I remember one of them, he's just like, my girlfriend, she's got lockjaw of the mouth. <laughs> that line always just stuck with me. And uh, Brody, like, brought a prop, like a fake cigarette when he was doing it. I was like, I didn't know we could fucking bring fake cigarettes when we did our monologues. Fucking this guy's breaking rules over here. And, like, Brody would, like, do costumes and, like, he didn't have to do all that shit. But he was just, like, real method. Anyways, I just one thing I wanted to share. It was a cool thing. Uh, Gerald Gordon was casting for a movie uh, back in the day. This was about, like, 1999-ish, right? And it was crazy. There was all these people, like, the girl that played the Pink Ranger to, like, uh, fucking... What was that guy? Joe. Hey, Joey. That guy. Like, like all, all these like actors from the 90s and shit. And one of them was Sean William Scott, a really young Sean William Scott, uh, and as well as James Franco. And um, the movie and production ended up getting pulled, but James Franco and Sean William Scott actually got casted as the brothers for the main roles. And I got to watch both their audition tapes. And it's like really, again, no one's dressed up. They're just like, like they're just wearing like, black and uh, Franco wasn't like a blue shirt like they were just wearing plain shirts like super young versions of them right like just a blank wall behind them and uh, it's just one of those things where you're reading offline with the director and the casting director uh, you know he's, he's, he's a producer and a casting director or the director there's maybe two or three people in the room right and they got the camera on the actor but everyone's off camera and you're just reading reading just feeding lines and they're not really acting him, acting them out uh, they're just seeing what you bring it's kind of like a cold read and there's like a little conversation before it. And anyways, the, the, the important part was Sean William Scott, who everybody knows, is a stiffler, right? American Pie, he's a goofy guy. It was crazy, man. He was, um, it was a dramatic role. Uh, it was a dramatic movie. And, uh, you know, so they're asking him like basic questions. Like, so what made you interested in the role? Yada, yada. I was like, well, I really, I really like dramatic roles. This is what I really want to be as an actor. And this is Sean William Scott, by the way, who we know is this. And this is the crazy part. He goes like, so what? He was, uh, he's like, I'm doing a movie uh, uh, now that I just got casted for, but it's just a, it's just a BS movie. Uh, it's just a, to, to make a check. It's called American Pie. It's like a comedic role, but I'm not really a comedic actor, but I really want to do drama. That's what drew me to this role. I don't like comedy. And it's so crazy. You're seeing this young Sean William Scott say, I don't want to be, I, I, I hate comedy. I, I want to be a serious actor. Just this bullshit role. That bullshit role got him typecasted the rest of his fucking career. 
that has nothing to do with the protecting that podcast or UFC link, and I just wanted I just wanted to share that. I don't know. I just thought that was really random. Uh, you, you just triggered my memory here. You're triggering my memory, okay? You're my, you're my invisible friend, so you're going to get random stories like this. All right, back to the UFC Lincoln main card breakdown. Eric Andrews, minus 11,000. That was a smooth segue, wasn't it? And Tim Williams, plus 700. Dan, we just got out of the movies, but I'm going to bring you right back for the second. Tim Williams, the fucking Kurgan. This guy looks like a serial killer. Does he not, but no, does he not look like the Kurgan from The Highlander? I, uh, you guys remember Highlander? What was it, 1986 off the top of my head? Uh, Highlander. But yeah, I mean, even like you go back and like watch, uh, I think he had two stints on Tough, but even the first one, like Dana White, like it's super genuine when he's watching the fight. He goes, holy shit, look at this guy. The new, the South Shore Strangler looks like he strangled some bodies on the way in here. But the way he says it is so, it's almost offensive. <laughs> Because of 86, holy shit, I didn't look that up before the podcast, I promise. Islander, 1986, god damn, Dan. Your fucking fight pass is not overtaking your IMDb database. There's still some of that in there, okay. But yeah, um, <coughs> excuse me, it's more water. But yeah, uh, uh, big disparity in lines, but I get it, you know, um, the serial killer is because probably because, you know, Tim Williams is kill or be killed. And you think he only has like five decisions or some shit. I don't have his record in front of me, of course. Like, I don't, don't, don't normally don't have that. Right notes, I should. But I mean, he's a really do or die character as far as his style. You know, he really wants to make it an ugly dogfight, get on top, try to submit you. He's not afraid to strike. But unfortunately for him, that or defense isn't really his forte. Um,. His fort. Um, so yeah, um, uh, Eric Andrews. You guys know I'm pretty high on, on him. I really, really like that he, he's not letting the loss. You know, like Nick Saban says, <laughs> it's part of the part of the process. He's he, he's he's worried about what's in front of him, and uh, you tell that's really instilled in the guy like Andrews, man. The way he approaches things. So. Um, I'm really interested to see Andrew's improvement. You know, something he was telling us today when we he had, we had him on Mid Junkie Radio today. He was saying this is the longest layoff he's had in his pro. Short, granted, but uh, longest layoff he's had between fights in his pro career, which isn't really a layoff that long. But yeah, uh, something to watch for. See how he, how he reacts to that. But I I don't think it'll be a bad reaction. I think it'll just be a good one, right? This is the time where guys are growing in their career, especially athletic specimens like that. Um, but but yeah, everything. All those lines are pretty. Pretty blown out of proportion. I do think he gets the finish, though, but even that's like juiced to like minus 260. So you don't need my opinion on how to look at this fight. Uh, the Kurgan, though, right? Kurgan. Kurgan. I used to say that about uh, Tom Breeze, but Tom Breeze is it, not as scary as that's an understatement. Uh, so, yeah. If, if you feel me, you know, Dan Tom will probably be you know, tweeting some Kurgan gifs when Tim Williams is fighting, so. So go ahead and give those some love if you if you feel me. Or shout out the podcast. All right, um, <clears throat> next fight, little homie, little homie, John Moraga, plus one thirty five versus Davison Figueiredo. Who looks like some form of Frieza with uh, Brazilian Frieza form four, form three, whatever form. It's been a while. Okay, give me a break. Go on, Dan. Not now. Not now. Don't go into that. Um, yeah, but yeah, David, David, Davison Figueiredo, which, uh, by the way, I love watching, 
underrated com- combo. I love that Brunson Machida card where they had the combo of uh, uh, DC commentating with John Go- Gooden. Oh, that was so great. And I love it because like DC starts like super homering uh, for Jared Brooks, going, "Oh, now he's gonna let Brock Lesnar suplex City," which is kind of funny now, apropos to a recent ongoings in MMA. But he kept referencing Brock Lesnar throughout the fight and getting super stoked and like fanboying out, comparing Brock Lesnar to Jared Brooks. And he's like, "Oh, Jared Brooks is gonna win." Oh, and he was like so like broed out for Brooks by the end of the thing, where. It's time for DC to put his headset down and go in for the post-fight interview. And he's already talking like the scorecards are out. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait to ask him what he felt about this win. <laughs> and then, like, even John, even though I would have probably agreed with him, even though I wasn't feeling quite as strong, nor should DC probably should have been expressing his opinion that quite that strong. You just, I, I love John, John Gooden's laugh right there before DC puts the headset down because you hear him clunk the headset down, right? John Gooden gives, he's like, oh, I can't wait to give him, you know, some kind of, go oh, congratulate, ask him now, I don't know, so whatever he says, right? And John Gooden goes, yes, ha, ha, it was almost one of those, like, he wasn't doing it to be rude, but it almost sounds like one of those fake mailed in, like, ha, 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 like, we almost patting the guy on the back, like, very overtly as you do it. I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I'm articulating it correctly, but that little exchange was just great, because then it's, just, it's like that perfect setup, he's, like, running into the octagon, like, kid, oh, Jerry Brooks, who flexes it, this is awesome. And then it gets called the other way, and you just see DC's face go, like, almost red. And he's just like, oh, shit. And he's, I just, you know, he's, I just got to, I just got to, I just ate, ate my words for three rounds, essentially calling the fight for Jared Brooks. And then what makes it worse is, in whatever question he asks, like, did you think you won? Like, kind of maybe trying to save himself here? Like, come on, you got to admit, admit, you're surprised, too. And before Figueredo even gives his answer, he goes, before I give my answer, I just want to say, I'm actually a really big fan of yours, DC. I follow you. <laughs> DC is just, you just see him just slowly eating the invisible shit sandwich and nodding his head like, fuck, this guy's going to go back and watch this fight and be like, see me trashing him. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's a close fight. Moraga's a live dog, but I, once again, will be picking against Moraga, which probably will mean he wins. Because he, as you know, Moraga has costing me. Uh, he was a crucial parlay piece in that three-fight weekend. I was stupidly tied him to some parlays, too. And uh, when he fought, uh, who was it back in the day, who got uh, recently uh, TKO'd? Um, what was his name? God, why is that, am I missing it now? Uh, fuck, it'll come to me. Yeah, it'll come to me. But anyways, um, I'll go look it up now. To uh, Bibliotov, of course, when he won there. So, like, I've been on the wrong side where I bet on him in the wrong time, and then I bet against him uh, the wrong time. Let me get this name so people screaming at the podcast will we'll stop. Matthias Nicolau. There we go. Sorry, guys. Sorry for those of you shouting at your podcast. Matthias Nicolau. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of snake-bitten from uh, John Moraga there. But it's like, even though he's got the wrestling background, I don't know if he's going to be able to defend takedowns because he doesn't really defend takedowns. It's, that's not that his, his biggest strength as far as his wrestling goes. Now, part of it's because he's got a really good guillotine. So you could, argue, you could argue a lot of those takedown secessions where even if he wasn't going for the guillotine, when speaking from experience, when you're a guillotine guy and something you look for, it's a trigger that you almost, you know, you have to fight yourself. You see, even on the, the high levels, these these pros, act, you know, actual legit guys still make that mistake, right? Where they, oh, I go in for the guillotine, I shouldn't have. 
And there's a lot of times where you do that, but it doesn't look like it. Like it doesn't even look like you went for the guillotine, but you thought about it and just by in there thinking about it, or sometimes you'll do thing where you kind of float your hips where like, uh, a lot of guys will do the safe way to do is when you're in a mount and you'll feel the guy buck. And if you time it just right, you float and then you end up taking their back, right? Like BJ Penn would do it all the time. And it was just like this death sentence where you go from mount to back mount to mount to back mount. And, uh, there's a there's a there's a similar there's a similar float when you're kind of feeling for a guillotine where you re- especially guys are really good for the guillotine they'll let the guy they they don't want to defend the takedown because the more they defend the takedown the less the guillotine will be there so it's this weird fucking gamble where I gotta I gotta trick this guy I gotta bear trap this guy I gotta let him get in just enough on my hips to be able to get this guillotine. Um, so that's the gamble. Um, that might be the little micro gamble that what the casual eye might not see. So when you're like, why is this idiot going for the gear? Like, I'm not saying I'm usually screaming that with you folks. It's, I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, it's not an excuse. But it is a reason why maybe if you're, you're, you're looking at it and going, why, why are these idiots keep going for don't – don't these guys know? These experienced guys, these black or brown belts. and it, Trust me, it's, it's – it, it's a little more forgivable. Not completely forgivable, but a little more forgivable than you think. I will say that. But, yeah, uh, Davison Figueredo um, shows he can hit takedowns. Uh, it's not like a Division two shot, but he will change his level coming forward. Or if a guy comes at him, he's got takedowns from the clinch. He's just physically freakishly strong. He is freakishly athletic. We we're talking about to Joseph Benavidez about it. I mean, it, it's freakish. I mean, uh, uh, this is the guy, by the way, was the guy crying when he uh, made weight. <sighs> Uh, two fights ago for him, uh, for that Jared Brook fight. Yeah, I mean, I think this guy really depletes himself to get down there, but he's just one of those just freakish dudes once he does, you know? Um, super freakish. And he doesn't get tired either because that, that fight, if you remember, he's Jared Brooks was the one kind of getting tired, and he's like faint hustling him with his, with his hands up and down and just, uh, just really putting pace on him come that third round, uh, Figueredo. But... I do wonder about the jiu-jitsu. Uh, I don't think it's going to be good enough to get a guy like John Moraga. And I wonder if John Moraga can get him. Because John Moraga can clearly just upset anybody, apparently. <laughs> he's just one of those dudes. He's, he's fucking, he's good, man. He's there. He's, he's, he's he, you know. Um, speaking of DC and post-fight interview, that was like one of the best ones, right? At UFC 216. The John Moraga, young man, young man. Um, but with Davison Figueredo, because Davison Figueredo's guillotine... Uh, did have me some questions because it was like he was just cranking back like ah that is just something and again that's something you see even higher level guys do granted but uh, I, I I don't like seeing guys that are brown belts or above like cranking back for a guillotine like it's you're supposed to crunch in not crank like it's one of the most rookie mistakes and they'll call it in commentary too when a guy's pulling away it, it helps the, the head, top of the head crown to pop out like, oh, right, that's the most normal defense. Oh, the head popped out. And a lot of times you're helping that, and it's because you're not, you're, not, you're not cutting it off. You almost want, once you get, once you get your, your arm under the neck, you almost want that top of your shoulder to start coming down on that crown of their head to close it off, and you're crunching in with their head. Crunch. I saw Neil Melanson, when you're teaching any of, any of the guillotine techniques, and we crunch for the finish. because And when he would show the reason why you didn't, you know, like any teacher, when they show the, this is what you don't want to do, you always over-exaggerate that. And so not only was, and that's what Devison Figueredo was doing. So not only was he 
just doing like their rookie mistake on finishing the guillotine wrong in that sense. But he was like almost doing the exaggerated version. Like if I were teaching a class, I would be like, this is how you don't want to do it. You don't want to extend and bridge back like this. And he was doing it every time. And it really just troubled me. You know? I don't know who, he, who, who he's ranked under. Uh, for his his uh, jujitsu credentials, but yeah, I, I gotta look more into that, and I'm gonna keep a cl closer eye on that. But I am picking Figueredo here. Uh, he's one. <laughs> I don't even want to say it. God damn it! I'm about to say it again. He's gonna say he's one of the dark horses at flyweight. You know, once I said it was dark horse at flyweight, Louis Smolka. You know, once I said it was dark horse at flyweight, Justin Scoggins. <laughs> you know, once I said it was a dark horse at flyweight, Michael Medvedev. Dan Tom is the touch of death when I say dark horse and this division. So, you heard it here. John Moraga is probably going to win. All right. Uh, Jake Ellenberg. Jake Ellenberg. Ellenberg. Gorgeous George got that stuck into my head, and that's uh, Hector Lombard saying Jake Ellenberg. That's how he says it. Jake Ellenberg. Versus Brian Barberina. Oh, Brian Barbs. Bam, bam, Barberina. Minus 440. He was like minus 500. This line's way off. I'm picking Barbarina. I'm a huge Barbarina fan, but but this line's way off. I don't blame anybody playing Ellenberger here. Um, Ellenberger's weird, man. He's just one of those hot and cold guys, man. Like I've, I've I've taken gambles on him, like certain matchups where on you know on paper he should win this, like a Jorge Masvidal, and that was dumb. That was a, that was a, that was certainly a shot in the wind. And I've pretty much picked against him every other time, minus last time. I think I got every pick on that last card right, except um, I picked. Ellenberger over Saunders. That was the only pick I got wrong on that card. Although I did play the under, so that that, that saved me. I didn't, I didn't even care about getting the pick wrong because that was just a volatile fucking matchup. But uh, but yeah, um, in in Ellenberger's defense, I did go back and watch. He did look better in, in comparison to last. So there is some continuity in compared to his normal. Uh, you know, best camp of my life, or you know, not best camp of my life, but you know, just like I oh, said, you know, usually talking about you know pulling the trigger, finding 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 getting back in touch with Jake, like. Those normal things, not that they're wrong, not, not you know, saying that as a negative. Uh, a big Ellenberger fan, everybody from Junkie Nation is a huge Ellenberger fan. You know, my co-hosts are real tight with Jake. They went on the military trips with him. Uh, Silverback, shout out to Silverback, who uh, I was talking about, I was talking about on the last podcast, Special Forces guy. Uh, he, he knows Jake, too, from those, those trips, and uh, he's real tight with him. He travels to go watch a fight. He's heading out to Lincoln right now. Uh, to go watch Jake fight, so I'm um, a lot of I, I I feel fucking treasonous picking against Jake if anything, but uh, yeah I don't blame anybody I don't blame anybody picking on there, but you know it's tough when we're doing the the, the top five uh, welterweight wars episode. It, I went back to watch the Diego Sanchez fight. You, you know, he's, man, in so many ways it just looks like a complete different Jake Ellenberger. Really, and that's why that's the value sometimes of going back that far. Uh, you're like, oh, it's a completely different fighter. Why the hell are you going to watch that? Sometimes you have to go back super far just to remind yourself things like speed and just their aura, the tenacity aura, right? It sounds really weird. There's no real metric for that. But it's something you can kind of see, right? You kind of feel you're watching fights enough or you watch a fighter, especially long enough. And sometimes you got to remind yourself of those things. And, and I, boy, I hope I'm wrong, but... Uh, and I think the line is off. I do. But that said, Bar Barbarina should be the favorite here. Although I will say, um, Barbarina plus 337 uh, decision, I'm going to sprinkle on. And I'm also going to, I'm, I'm like, really 
small bets for Dan Tom. Uh, and, and I would barely recommend a sprinkle for you, but I'm just being honest on what I sprinkled in. And I sprinkled the old round three, probably. Old Derek Love. Shout out to shout out to Derek Love. The old Derek Love round three. I think um, round three is live here because Ellenberger is do or die, and that's certainly his mentality. You know, talking to him, going reading interviews, going into this fight. But Brian Barberina. God bless him, is a better striker, more powerful than people give him credit for, more tenacity than people give him credit for. Um, yes, he dropped Edwards, though that was also kind of the perfect shot in his fight with Leon Edwards. But uh, he's not a knockout power guy, though, at the same time. You know what I'm saying? He's not a one-shot guy. And um, and that's fine. Uh, it's, a, it's his durability is what you're going to need with Ellenberger, because whether Ellenberger's on or not, you have to be ready to survive that first storm. Maybe not a first round storm. Sometimes it may only be a first wave, right? With Ellenberger, you're not sure what you're going to get. But you can count that there's going to be a brutal blitz coming at some point or some form, at least some form of offense that you have to respect. And though Barbarina may not be the best defensively, he's shown he's got, into, he's got the chin uh, for this division. And uh, yeah, I just see him outlasting that storm. And the fact that he puts a pace on, it, again, back to that thing. Um, the real key for Jake Ellenberger is really consistent to kind of the, the, the layout of Luke Sanders' fight, where Luke Sanders really is going to need to be comfortable, especially, you know, Jake Moore at the end, whereas Luke Sanders, I think he's going to pull out uh, and has still has his best days ahead of him, but they're both in fragile spots, I believe, for different reasons, different spots, but both fragile in a certain way. And stylistically, I think they, you know, they really need things to go on their terms, and if you have a durable guy who's just going to set, make it a dogfight, they don't even have to be, you know, a knockout guy or anything. That that could actually be much more of a dangerous fight. So, in that sense, to where if Ellenberger doesn't get comfortable, he tends to not do well, right after that first round traditionally. And Barbarina is a builder, and this not not a Max Holloway builder by any means, but as far as just overall pace, overall getting better in a fight as it gets later. So, yeah, Barbarina. Um, next fight, Courtney Casey, Angela Hill. Um, plus 105, Courtney Casey. It's tightening up. Money's coming in on her. Angela Hill, minus 125. I was talking to, uh, to Matt Holt over on, t on Twitter, and he, and he was saying some sharps came to him, a couple of them, saying they're, they're placing money on Hill. Yet I feel like I'm seeing more popularity and slash the line movement towards saying the other way toward Casey. And um, I don't know. I say stay the hell away. I'm actually picking Hill, so I don't blame people for putting money. It's a playable line. But maybe because I've always had this kind of unhealthy respect for Courtney Casey. You know, I respect her more than maybe the odds makers do more often than not. Uh, I've picked her in a handful of her fights for sure. But, again, she's just inconsistent, you know, very winnable fights um, in her last couple. If she would have just done more, you know, that Fleece Herrick fight was a weird fight. You know, the, you could maybe it was her first full-time camp. Was, that was much as if it was a good thing. Also, you know, it was the first full-time camp somewhere else. It may lab, good camp. But, you know, there's always that adjusting period I always talk about, right? That could have been it there. Um, but the thing was is kind of in, in that fight, you know, I have to listen to it with the commentary down because all they talk about is just the, I mean, at least half of mine is with the, with the, with the commentary down anyway, so that's no surprise. But what, what I'm pointing at is half their commentary is like about 
they're fighting on a track, Rogan keeps saying, in a straight line back and forth. And that is a really good key point, though, that, that, that is worth bringing up. Um, uh, because Hill fights a lot off of angles, lateral movement, 45s. And though her defense should be better in a lot of areas, uh, she is getting, getting getting a better feel, you know, maybe needlessly elaborate at times, but she really is getting a better feel for those feints and slips and, you know, combining her offense with defense. It's really hard to do, you know. She's really, really trying to not jump the shark, I'd say, but she's really trying to bring it along fast. But it's one of those things most people learn offense before they learn defense, right? They learn jab, cross, hook. Then later you start learning things like, oh, yeah, I really got to learn defense. Like, okay, I got to worry about if I'm striking with this hand, keeping that hand up, like really basic rudimentary defense. And then it evolves to, oh, head movement, slipping, working my slip and my roll. And then you start thinking of things like, oh, oh, what, what brings the defense and offense together? Oh, well, footwork brings it together. There's the third part. But then there's that really other overall layer, the symbiotic layer, where it's not just footwork, it's not just slipping, it's not just punching. When you start getting better, it's when you do them all at once. And Angela Hill, um, by no means is, is a top example for that, but you see, you see the progress. You see her putting these pieces together where when you do the symbiotic layer, it's now it's not just cross, now it's not just slip, now it's not just step, it's um, step crossing, slipping my head off center, and then rolling my head for the counter hook coming out of the way, and that's resetting me to my jet. And you're putting everything together. You're, you're moving it symbiotically, you know. Uh, a lot of uh, boxing classes will set up a rope drill, right? And uh, we would do one. We would do, what was I saying? You start on one side of the rope, and this was good to get you, again, putting footwork, head movement, and, and, and striking together, you know. Uh, jab. Well, for some, yeah, jab, you know, uh, right cross, you know, right cross, uh, either stepping right cross to the body or stepping right hook. And the point is to kind of roll with it and you roll to the other side of the rope and then, you know, right cross lead and then left hook, which kind of goes with that roll under and you roll under the other side of the rope and now you're resetted to the other side and it's just teaching you to move with the crosses and move with your hooks under and over, you know. What are traditionally gimme, grab, power moves, gimme what's on the table. It's teaching you to be smart with it, teaching you to deliver your offense while moving and defending. And we're seeing more of that from Hill. And that, I think, is going to be the difference. And the more linear jerky, the when she connects, she connects hard. Courtney Casey movements. And that being said, I think older Courtney Casey will, will serve her best. Um, she needs to go actually go back to even as sloppy as it was. Those one, two, one, two, one, two blitzes, probably going to serve her the best. Try to get it to a dog fight uh, to fight Hill on the ground, though. You know, Hill uh, against Yoder and stuff like that. She's showing she hasn't been annoying those parts, too. And if you go back and if you were, if you were watching her in Invicta, she, she was addressing it already back then. So as far as her ground game, her scrambling getting much better. So I like Hill here, but just Courtney Casey, I respect her enough to stay away. All right, co-main event time. Uh, Andre Feely. Man, he's now a minus 120. This was my other underdog pick. I put I put uh, one unit, just, just a unit, I didn't go crazy, but I got him when he was plus 120. Uh, now Michael Johnson plus 100. It was the opposite way around before. Um, I haven't really seen too much on Twitter, to be honest. I've actually had more time to, like, to even be on Twitter, but I haven't really looked at people's picks or listened to podcasts, which I've really f filtered out this last year, to be honest. Um, 
still shouts to everybody doing do, doing their podcasts out there. You know, uh, I, 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 you know, you know, Dan Todd. Not a friend. I'm a bad businessman. I shout out other people's podcasts all the time, but uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't listen to anybody's really picture. I, I don't. Talk, that's why if I sound sketchy or if I use generals like like words like I actually hate using like sharps. I actually hate using that word. By the way, uh, it's just because what I'm reading from the lines. I actually, I actually don't 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 know where, where people are at on this one. But uh, I'm real curious because I I, I got to imagine um, I'm not, I'm not alone. But that's the thing. I'm I'm actually not. Even though I'm, I played Feely with my, you know, I I put my own uh, personal money on Feely there. I'm not like super confident on it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I, 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 it was just one of those things where, if it were a different card with maybe more available bets, I probably might I might have stayed away from this one. Like this isn't, this is a scary one. Like Feely sounds motivated, but then there's also things where just. The scream, maybe possible flag or distraction. You know, it's weird, but I like the run he's on. I didn't think he won that last fight, but I did pick him to win it because, again, I've been a real big fan of Feely and his underrated wrestling, which I think is going to be a key here. It's under underrated power double. Um, you know, Johnson. I think he dabbled in wrestling in high school and, of course, football. Athletic dude, but really. Aside from a sprawl, and when he's feeling in rhythm, like he, his takedown defense is not really evolved like too much, you know. Like you, you'll see him scrambling and doing rounds with like guys like Des Green or even like Chandler in the room. So you're like, okay, he's got to be getting better. But then, and you know, no disrespect to Elkins or whatever, was, you know, he caught him off of a kick uh, in the last one. But you know, he's still getting taken down. Um, so it, 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 it's it's hard to say. Uh, it's hard to say exactly where you know where he is, but the timing wise on takedowns coming forward or reactionary, Feely has that, and I think he's going to be able to get him down. More importantly, I just think he's going to make it a dogfight. If, if even if he's not super successful with the wrestling, uh, and again, Feely's not like a game over submission artist by any means, so I don't see him submitting. I think it's going to be a decision. I just think it's going to be a dogfight. And in a dog fight, if you could take the shots from Michael Johnson, I think you can win that dog fight, whether it's at lightweight or featherweight. I, I'm a big fan of Michael Johnson. He was one of my favorite guys to cash on, man. Was, uh, I think I'm, uh, I was talking about it on Twitter with uh, Dan Levy talking about, you think he posted something about Michael Johnson or whatever. And I, I was like, yeah, man, we're cashing him. Getting like T-Bow and uh, that's like a plus 350 against Barbosa. Like some of my favorite uh, plays back in the day. And because uh, he really hit this corner where I started paying attention, where it's like, because you remember, he kind of flamed out and was just, he already came in with a kind of losing record, got hyped up from the Ultimate Fighter, and then kind of started flaming out, then joined the Black Zillions when Black Zillions was, uh, had the record for losses, and like everybody was shitting on Black Zillions. But quietly, Michael Johnson was actually quietly one of those dudes that was actually like really improving. Um, from Henry Hoof, and I'm not sure if this is something that I've heard. Uh, say either Zane or Connor Rebush talk about before, but uh, like a take on Henry Hoof. I mean, was it Jordan? Oh, it goes. See, again, I, speaking of the, the sphere, this is another reason why you just you want to credit the right person, then you just confuse everybody. Uh, <laughs> 
But yeah, uh, talking about Henry Hooft, in other words, and like you look at him and the theory, the working theory, I believe, I don't want to misquote anybody, but was that he works better with fighters. Not speaking of which, I, I, I want to get Connor on a top five. Uh, I'm going to note it out loud here, so I'm just going to make sure I got to follow through on it later. But uh, no, it was. Um, they work better. He works better with fighters in the beginning, but then at a certain point, it's like it's almost like a plateau. If you look with all the guys, like there's market improvements with the guys he works with, but then it plateaus, and that that's something that I, I co-sign that I I, um, I see through my own analysis as well. So, and I think it's, I think that's a lot of it with uh, maybe not to fault of who hoof or, or or that dynamic per se, but. You know, in working theory, it's transferable to Michael Johnson as far as you look at... You know, I feel like we've seen kind of a skills plateau. Yeah, it feels like it. And he's kind of the same fighter. I don't... I don't. I mean, that first round, we're all excited to see him at 145 against Elkins till he, till he shits, right? And, but uh, I don't know, man. I mean, it, I don't know. I, I like Michael Johnson, but it's just... It's not... I don't want to do that confirmation bias. One guy's winning, one guy's losing, because that's not it. Like, if anything, that just means uh, Andre can afford the loss, and Michael Johnson's in a must-win. Look at his record, you know? He's got to win this. He's coming to win. He's coming to win, but I just don't see him as the nail. I don't see him as the comeback guy. He's a great hammer, but if Feely can survive the hammers in the first round, I think he can win this fight. All right, Justin Gaethje versus James Vick. Justin Gaethje plus 130, James Vick minus 150. Line's been kind of going back and forth, but this has been running around what it stayed. Kind of surprising to see Vick a favorite considering how much of a fan favorite. I mean, who doesn't love Justin Gaethje style, right? How much of a fan favorite Justin Gaethje is and James Vick. Uh, let's just say not. I mean... He hasn't had a chance to be a fan favorite in his defense, but, uh, you know, only hardcores kind of know him. He's at that level. And then also, unfortunately for him, a lot of hardcores uh, associate him more with his team than his fighting ability. And that is, of course, uh, Team Lloyd Irvin. And you can look up what I'm referencing if you want to be uh, bummed out. Needless to say, uh, James Vick, uh, he is the pick here uh, for me. Uh, again, I, I, I look at it as fighters and... and and whatnot, and I know you know my co-host again. They did a military trip with Vic. I wasn't a part of that one, so they're you know they, they always get accused of homerun for, for those guys. Uh, and I know they picked Vic in the breakdown video with me, so it just kind of looked like we we're all homerunning for him. You know, I I actually I like James Vic. He's always been great. He's a great interview. Um, like you know, uh, 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 most part got get some pretty pretty fun fights. I mean, he's, you know, got a few where. You know, like the Trinaldo fight or some others, but I mean, you know, I'm not holding the torch, let's just say, or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, people are like, oh, Homer, I'm like, not Homer either. This is this is a close fight, and uh, believe me, I wanted to pick Gaethje for a lot of reasons, including that plus number by his name. But it, you know, it, I'm sure it's been beat to death at this point. But really, it's just his defense. We we say it every time, right? <sighs> But it's not adjusted. It's it, it it's just that 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 phalanx, you know, like a Spartan to a shield and a phalanx. He holds up that shelling guard and, and lives and dies by it. And and and, and you know, a guy with shot selection of Vic who can peek his, you, you know, he can turn the corner on the, on the on his hooks and come up the middle with uppercuts and variates well to the body and has knees. Like he has all the shots that traditionally trouble Gaethje. 
You know, he has the length, and even though his head's there to be hit, in his defense, if you're really, really watching the footage and where he's acting in the pocket, there's a good spatial awareness there in the sense of that his head's up there to be hit, don't get me wrong, but you look at the way that he's exiting, and kind of like what I was saying earlier with, when I was talking with Angela Hill fight, the way he's moving off the punches, at least, you know, that exit punch, he's still going to get caught on that one or two coming in. You know, you saw Nick Hine. Um, even as short as he was, being able to catch him and time him, you know, being able to, being able to crash strikes on him. Um, which is what Gaethje, will, I imagine, will be just will be doing by nature, whether he's trying to or not, just by, by virtue of his style. Uh, so he'll certainly be live. But, yeah, man, it's just, mm, it's tough. It's tough. I, I can't help but see just that, that you know, the, the just the relentless come forward style, Gaethje hurting him. But the, the weird part is, and I say this in the breakdown, is it's not like shoring it would be the best answer here either. I actually think a reckless Gaethje is the best answer because on the flip side, when you look at it, guys who've had their best moments against Vic, win or lose, when guys have been pressuring forward, whether it was the grappling pressure Chiesa uh, on the tough series or... Benil Dariush, you know, his pressure stylings, uh, corralling against the cage, which is more toward Gaethje's forte. Oh, he does it from the opposite stance, but, you know, same thing in spirit. Uh, so in spirit, yeah, I, I think that's a really good move for Gaethje. And if he can corral, like I said, my breakdown, if he can corral Vic early, I think it's going to be a real early night for him. Uh, early night for him. First round KO for Gaethje. Um... I don't think you're getting much more plus money that way to play that angle first round, but I just feel like it's a real a first and second round, obviously, but really that first round is, is Gaethje's strongest round. Vic's most dangerous for him. But if he gets past it, those pull counters, um, I see having a lot of play in this fight. And um, not just because it did in the last fight, uh, which, which, you know, I called it. Not, try, not trying to do that, but but, but I you know, forecasted that it probably would there. But but yeah, it's if he doesn't change his approach, it's gonna it's gonna burn him here, and, and it has to be an accumulation. It's kind of a shots for Vic to put Gaethje away, I think. But I actually see him more like stunning him and kind of a grabbing the neck while he's stunned, kind of a thing. Because even if Gaethje doesn't do a desperation shot, he just kind of has to come into the clinch space. And Vic's one of those guys where he's so tall he can just do that. You know, Brian Ortega Cup Swanson move where you just do the feed, you just do the overt feed and under the arm and lock up there. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, me to song. Picking Vic, but I am not playing this fight. Uh, if you are, I, you know, it's, this is kind of like a, a you know real dog or pass kind of a thing uh, in that sense. Um, but but yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I got, I got James Vick here, but uh, I hate picking against a guy like Justin Gaethje, man. He seems like he takes it so personal, too, man. I feel like uh, he's just, uh, I feel like he's given, like, the death stare last time he was in the studio. And then, <coughs> I don't know if you guys saw John Morgan tweet this week. Like, our, I don't know how I found out. I'm going to ask John how he found out. Cause our, our picks weren't even posted. And he's like, yeah, I get here on fight week, and Justin Gaethje greets me. He goes, John Morgan, picked, picked James Vick, picked against me. I'm going to knock James Vick out just for you. So, Gaethje knows, man. Gaethje knows. I hate picking against that guy. Those are the picks. Uh, so, just to recap, uh, 
sprinkled on Yaya, minus 125, 1.5, uh, money line, Feely, when it was plus 120, now it's minus 120, that's a unit. And then I just did some, I, my degenerate plays were uh, old Brian Barbs by a decision, uh, plus 337, I sprinkled that, and the round 3,950. So I think it's just going to burn out as it gets late. Um, got Vic over Gaethje, Feely over Johnson, Hill over Casey. Barbarina over Ellenberger, Figueredo over Moraga, Anders over the Kurgan, Alves over Kraus, Sanhagen over Alcantara, Miluco Perez over Sanchez, Gull over Sully, Sullivan, Joan Calderwood versus Kalindra Feria, Drew Dober, who is team all thighs for Joe Rogan, I think. Uh, over John Tuck. And Ronnie Yaya over Luke Sanders. Those are the picks. Um, man, I didn't talk too much fantasy on this one. I'm sorry. I'll get more fantasy talk on this one. I'll also get Jordan Fiegelman back on a podcast here soon. Uh, now these are going to be more regular. Shout out to Jordan Fiegelman. Um, yeah, uh, that's it. Let's get let's get the hell out of here. Um, I'll save the uh, Amazon on I on it purchases for next time but you can go to mixmarshallanalyst.com you know it's the we're changing some stuff on the front page my slow ass again i did get to work over my vacation i just didn't get everything done that i wanted to uh updating stuff but yeah the podcast is assuming front page now breakdowns are still there you can still reference that for all your studying needs even mjunkie.com just use that search bar function or just use the you know Google search and you can you, all my stuffs at MMA Junkies too all those old breakdowns you can still use them for like cheat sheets you know to freshen up when you're jumping into these matchups use it as cliff notes man I do when I'm that's, that's my thing when I, when I'm starting to break down first thing I do when I'm when I'm outlining my breakdown I pull up my old breakdowns and I read those as a refresher and it gives me a, oh a nice refresher who this guy is what he does some things I, I might not remember all the better it helps form helps me plan my attack so I can smartly tape study which i normally don't uh, i usually watch more than i need to but you get what i'm saying it's there i already did the work it's free use it know the number use it itunes five star ratings and reviews are always appreciated i haven't checked those but i'll check those and i'll read uh, any new ones we got really just just thank you guys i appreciate you for putting up with the inconsistencies and the late podcasts including this one even though it's earlier than the other ones um and they will be from here on out which is the good news so uh, thank you guys again. Enjoy the show. I'll be back next week with uh, with a top five episode. Uh, I'll tease it later. I don't want to tease it early because then I'll start getting submissions and I'm not ready to start tallying those up. But feel free to reach out at the podcast at the PYN Podcast on Twitter. It's the same on Facebook and on Instagram. We don't flood you, so we're not going to flood your timeline, but your follows do a whole ton for us. And it doesn't take you much. It's just a click. So please... Give us a follow at the PYN Pod. Excuse me, hiccups. At the PYN Podcast, and of course, me on Twitter at Dan Tom MMA. Enjoy the fights. Good luck with your plays. Anything I miss, uh, I apologize. Get at me. There's still time before the fights, and uh, I'll tweet you out. I'll get back to you. We'll chat fights. We'll have fun. Hopefully, you have fun. But regardless, always protect your necks.